We've been doing a series looking uh, at Philippians. Uh, we're quite a few weeks into it now. And we've been looking at the book of Philippians as we've been exploring uh, the new strategy that we feel that God has given us here at P's and G's. Uh, you'll see upon the screen there, uh, there are three things uh, where we're going to be sort of going in the next four or five years as a church. We feel God is calling us uh, to change lives with him, to have our own lives changed, and also to take the good news of Jesus to others as well. We believe God is calling us to continue to transform society in various ways and also to deepen our influence in the places that God has put us in our lives, in our work, and in, through this church as well. So we've been exploring these three things over the last few weeks, and we'll continue to do so over the next couple of weeks. Tonight, we're going to be focusing in a little bit on transforming society, which Paul spoke about as well a couple of weeks ago. I was thinking tonight about that moment. It happened to me last week, actually, uh, when I went into uh, our... We have like a room in our office uh, where uh, we all eat lunch together and uh, we have staff meetings and things like that. And we went into... I went into that room. And you know when you enter into a conversation uh, and you've missed out what's gone before and you think, oh my goodness, I've missed something. I don't know what's going on. But because I'm nosy and I like to be involved in everything and I also have serious FOMA, I had to find out what on earth was going on. What had I missed out on so that I could understand what they were talking about in that present moment? Does anybody else have that moment? You sort of enter into a conversation and you think, oh, I don't know what the back conversation was, was, so I don't understand it. This is what's happening as we come to this passage of Scripture tonight, I think. Because I don't know about you, but you might have heard the first verse uh, that Roderick said uh, tonight from the reading. Verse 15, and you might have thought, Well, there was something that went before. Uh, Paul says this, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And I read that past that verse and I thought, oh, I've like entered the room. There's something that's gone before here and I don't know what it is. What is it that I've missed out on? What has gone before? All of us then who are mature should take a view of such things. A view of what and what things? I want to know what's gone before. So we need to look at what's gone before. We know uh, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Philippian Christians, is referring to the previous uh, few verses. So we've got to look back at those, those verses and find out what Paul is saying. So they're going to come up on the screen here, verses 13 to 15. Paul says this, forgetting what is behind, forgetting what is behind, what are we forgetting? He's talking here about the time before he knew Jesus, at the time when he thought that following Jesus was all about uh, just following a set of religious rules, doing the right thing, coming from the right family, uh, being good, having all the right credentials. Uh, He thought all those things would make him right with God. So he's saying, forgetting all that, forgetting all that stuff that used to be really important to me in my life. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So this is a really important verse that we need to look at for a couple of minutes to understand the passage that Roderick read to us a few moments ago. So Paul is reminding any of us who want to be growing in Jesus, want to be pressing on in our relationship with Jesus, that we need to be doing that. We need to be reaching forward. 
We can't be static. We need to be reaching forward to be straining for what is ahead. Not always looking back, not always being dependent on ourselves or our achievements or what's gone before, our abilities to be a good person or a good Christian, but we should be pushing forward, running the race, uh, living our lives fully dependent on Jesus. It's all about Jesus transforming us. And that's where the transformation of society begins. We're going to be looking at that in a few minutes. Transformation of society begins when God transforms us, when we forget what is behind and we strain forward, we strain ahead, we press in to where God is taking us in the future. So that begins to make a little bit more sense of what Paul is saying to us here in verses 15 to 21. Because any of us who are running this race with Jesus are described as citizens of heaven in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await, we press on, we strain, we look forward for our Savior, for our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just press pause for a moment. What does this mean, our citizenship of heaven? A couple of weeks, Paul mentioned, Paul Sorry, not the Apostle Paul, uh, mentioned this uh, as well because it comes up all through the book of Philippians. Paul refers to Christians as being citizens of heaven. Now, being a citizen of anywhere, has, let alone heaven, has all sorts of implications. Um, I've lived in Scotland now for three years, and it's been an eye-opener living in Scotland. I think that was some people out yesterday afternoon near Murrayfield. Um, to me, uh, being a Scottish citizen uh, means you have to understand re- weird words like outwith, and, uh, and you need to know that you stay somewhere, not that you, you don't live anywhere, you just stay in places, uh, which for me as an English person is interesting. And then uh, you, go, you get to go to uni for free uh, when you're a Scottish citizen. Sorry all the other people from the UK and around the world who are paying extraordinary fees to go to a Scottish university. University. Um, you have to like cold uh, to be a citizen of um, Scotland, it's particularly in the summer. You like to have, like cold in the summer, and you like to uh, enjoy whiskey. And uh, and you, if you do your food shop uh, before ten o'clock in the morning, you have to get the head around, head around the fact that you can't buy a bottle of wine. Uh, that took me a while to understand this um, as well. You have to understand that things like Kayleys, which to me, before I came here, were genteel, fiddly, twiddly dances, are more like a cross between doing an Ironman and boxer size uh, when you come to Scotland. Uh, and the thing that really, really struck me when I came here, that when you're a Scottish citizen, being ginger is normal, isn't it, Josh and Jess? It is. It's really normal. Is it? It's not normal. No, well, it depends where you come from. If you're a Scottish citizen, uh, then it is. But seriously, though, Being a citizen of somewhere, it gives you status, it gives you rights, it gives you uh, responsibilities as well. In the UK, uh, that means for us that we can get free education, uh, human rights, access to the wonderful NHS, big up all the NHS workers in the building, uh, and, and access to all sorts of other services as well. And we have rights as EU citizens for a little while longer. Enjoy these moments. Uh, they're not going to be around for much longer. 
And at the moment, a lot of us are actually a little bit bothered about our citizenship, if we're honest. I know a few people who have suddenly been getting Irish passports and, and things like that. Uh, we're bothered about being citizens of the UK or citizens of Scotland or citizens of the EU. But I wonder, are we concerned? Are we as passionate about our primary status being a citizen's of heaven. For all of us who believe and trust in Jesus, being a citizen of heaven, having our identity firmly rooted in Jesus is the most important thing about us. It is your primary identity. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a child of God. It outranks our nationalities, our relationship status, our education, our sexuality. If you follow Jesus, your status is citizen of heaven. It's what defines you. And what an incredible privilege that is. What an incredible gift that is, and it's available to every single one of us, citizen of heaven. And so Paul in this passage is basically encouraging followers of Jesus to press into our status at the gift of being a citizen of heaven. He says in verse 16, let us live up to what you have attained. Let us live up to what you have attained. What is it that we've already attained as citizens of heaven? As citizens of heaven, we have so many privileges, so many rights, so many blessings, so many gifts. Uh, We've been given grace. And grace is one of those words we talk about a lot about in church, and you might have seen it defined like this. I can't actually find a better way of describing it. There are some other ways, but this one's always been helpful for me. Grace, God's riches, or God's righteousness at Christ's expense. This is what we have attained, grace. This is what we have attained. Paul said, let us live up to what we have attained. And if we've attained grace, we're to live up to the grace, this incredible gift that Jesus has given those of us who have given our lives to him. It's a gift. Grace is a gift. It's a really good thing. When Jesus died on, a, on the cross, he took all our sin, all our wrongdoing upon himself. Remember, he had never done anything wrong at all. He was tempted in every way, Hebrews uh, tells us, but he was without sin. But he instead took all the hurt, all the lustful thoughts that we've had, all our pride, all those little lies that we've told to cover up for our wrongdoings and our mistakes, all the times that we've deliberately chosen to do something that makes us look better but actually pushes other people down. He took all that stuff upon himself and it was nailed to the cross with him. He took our sin upon himself and he could only do that because he was sinless. He took the pain and the punishment that you and I deserve upon himself. And so because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, each one of us in this room can experience grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. 
In reality, grace means that when God looks at each one of us, he doesn't see a messed up person. He doesn't see a, a sinner. But he sees somebody who is a saint. He somebody, sees somebody who's been made holy. He sees a child of God. He sees a citizen of heaven. And our response to this incredible gift of grace, our response to this lavish love and forgiveness should simply be to love God back, to love him back with our whole lives and our whole hearts, not just a little bit left over on a Sunday night, but our whole lives and our whole hearts. We don't have to do anything. In fact, we can't do anything to try and earn God's love, to earn God's forgiveness to earn our status as citizen of heaven, because Jesus has done it for us. But there's a problem. Because lots of us, we like to sin, don't we? I like to sin sometimes, if I'm honest. We have this like inbuilt desire in ourselves uh, to live my life my way. And our culture says, you know, do whatever you want. It's fine. As long as it feels good, it's absolutely fine. Just do it. If you can get away with it, just get on with it and do it. In fact, at the end of the day, we might, if we're honest, be tempted to think that grace is great. Because, you know, if Jesus has forgiven my sin once and for all upon the cross, now I'm free to live my life how I want and do whatever I want. I can indulge in whatever my sin of choice is, whether it's, uh, you know, lying to cover my tracks or gossiping or watching porn or doing some sexual thing with uh, somebody or other that I know who I'm not married to, getting hammered on a regular basis or striving after money, putting things above God in my life, a whole plethora of stuff we, 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 we indulge in. It's okay, we tell ourselves. It's all right to do all this stuff because God will forgive me anyway. I know he will forgive me because I believe the gospel of Jesus. I know he'll forgive me because I'm a citizen of heaven. But Paul is saying here, no, you've got it wrong. If you think like that, if you behave like that, you haven't really fully understood how massive my grace is. Grace, you see, is all about having our hearts transformed by Jesus' incredible love and mercy and forgiveness for us. And when we undergo heart surgery, our lives are never the same again. I've worked with teenagers. Until I came here, I've worked with teenagers uh, for 20 years. I now have a teenager. And in my experience over the past 25 years of teenage boys, uh, generally, I think they're just pretty rank, uh, particularly in terms of personal hygiene. Uh, now, I have to say that there are no teenage boys in this room or any men who have ever been teenage boys that I am actually referring to at all. I know you're all pure and lovely and delightful and would never be like that, let alone have a room that looks like the picture on this screen. But apart from you, I think what I'm about to say basically applies to the majority of teenage boys. Personal hygiene is just not a thing when you're a teenage boy. Uh, they don't shower unless their mum or dad uh, nags them to, and even then they don't use soap. Uh, I don't know why, but they don't. And uh, pants, 
Once pants have been worn, one, two, three, four, whatever the mood takes, days, just stuff them down the side of the bed and then suddenly, hopefully, miraculously, they'll come back all clean and you'll have some clean pants to wear in a few weeks' time. Um, and then there's the whole toothbrush thing. Um, it's as though they look at the toothbrush, they take it out of the toothbrush holder, they look at it as though it's like a foreign object and they just go, nah, and just put it back in. Maybe one day I'll brush my teeth again. But then suddenly something happens. It can happen at age 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, different stages for different people. I recognize that. The boy falls in love for the first time. And suddenly everything changes. Personal hygiene actually becomes a thing uh, for boys. Not only do they start to shower, but they find out what shower gel is. Not only do they find that that bottle at the end of the bath actually contains shampoo, they even sometimes, in extreme circumstances, discover conditioner. <laughs> conditioner. It's wild. And then... They grab the deodorant, they realize that if you press the top, stuff comes out of it, it's incredible. And then there's this thing, if they're really in love, called aftershave, which means that for a whole day, you will smell delightful, uh, not like sweaty armpits like you do the rest of the time. It's an incredible thing. And then teeth, teeth. Uh, you discover that actually they don't, uh, they're not meant naturally to be all furry and disgusting. But actually, if you brush them, they feel smooth and clean. And, and then actually, toothbrush really does say, uh, make your breath smell fresh and minty like the adverts say. It's an incredible thing. And then they have to start getting up at 20 minutes earlier in the morning because they have to spend 20 minutes just to style, quaff, tease, wax their hair into place, ready to go out for their day at work, school, university, college, at whatever stage it happens. Lots of you are relating to this, I know, uh, whether you're a parent or a um, young person yourself. And then mum and dad, they just can't believe what is happening. They've been telling their boy for months, for years, what they're supposed to do. They've been telling their boy for, for weeks about this thing called personal hygiene. And now he is doing it willingly without being nagged. But this time, it isn't because he's being told to, but it's his response to falling in love. Because love transforms behavior. Grace transforms behavior. There's a reason that we sing about amazing grace or not like okay or reasonable or okay, mediocre on a Friday grace. The grace and the love of Jesus is amazing. It should blow our minds. It should never leave us the same. It should transform our whole being, including our behavior. Uh, it should transform our outlook on life. It should tr transform what we think is really important. The grace and love of Jesus should transform us. It has the power to, to transform society. And so we live as citizens of heaven because we long to honor the king. We long to make his name great. We long to live our lives as his people with him on the throne of our lives. 
So actually, the things that we are attractive and that pull us away from him, they're not as attractive anymore because actually, like that teenage boy who's fallen in love, the main thing that affects how we behave is not because we're told to do something, it's because it's our response to the incredible love and grace of Jesus that we've experienced. And so Paul goes on in verses 16 and 20. He says, come on, people. Let us live up to the grace and the love, the forgiveness, the mercy of Jesus that you have already attained. Let's live as citizens of heaven. And then he goes on in verse 17 to explain a bit more about how we do this and what it looks like. He says this, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Join together, he says. Join together at the beginning of verse 17. Here at P's and G's, our vision and our strategy help us all to join together, to get on the same page, to seek out what God is calling us to do, it, to do and to do it together. None of us are meant to do it on our own. In our strategy, there is this challenge for us to be transforming society. And we can just think, oh my goodness, how on earth are we going to transform society? That is immense. How are we supposed to, how am I supposed to do that? How is Paul supposed to do that? Or Flo or Anne or anybody here? But together, we can make a difference. We join together. Think about soul food. Um, every week it takes 50 people uh, to run soul food. If we had a stack of cooks, 50 cooks every Saturday, that'd be useless because nobody would get welcome. Nobody would have a cup of tea put in their hand. The, the building wouldn't be cleared up. Uh, nobody would be serving the food. We need a whole plethora of people who, with different gifts who join together to transform society. And they do it out of the transformation that God has done in their hearts. We're hoping to develop a wholeness center. That will not happen unless we're joining together to make it happen. As we look to care for creation, uh, to take a Christian lead in Scotland on this, it's massive. We need to join together. And we've been so encouraged by the number of people that have come to us and said, God has really put this on my heart. I have a passion for this, or I have gifts in this area. How can I use them to help us to transform society? Let's join together and do this together. Joining together, not pursuing our own agendas, but following Jesus together, pressing on, straining, letting him transform us as we transform society together, living under his grace. And just think about the world we live in. It's a tough, tough world, isn't it? Uh, you might be facing real oppression uh, in your context for being a Christian. You might face cynicism and apathy and antagonism and lots of other really nasty words for being a Christian where you're at. But that's why we're church. We're here to support each other, to join together to, to pray for each other, to cheer each other on, uh, whatever our context is like. So find somebody to be your supporter. It's one of the great things about our connect groups. It's people gathering together and, 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 and pushing into God together, letting him transform us and transfer, as we transform society, but also supporting each other. So Paul says, join together. And then I don't know whether you noticed in verse 17, he talks about following my example. He says, join together in following my example. 
It's not because he thinks he's perfect or because he's got it sorted. He definitely knows he hasn't. In, in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 16, he actually says something similar. And he says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Our babies and toddlers uh, meets in this building on a Thursday. It's absolutely mental. Um, it, it sort of blows your mind. It looks like that on the screen, but sort of there's lots of little people on machines going all over the place. Um, anyway, there are weird things going on in your heads now as you imagine that. We literally have like hundreds of parents and grandparents with babies and toddlers in this building. Now, when uh, fat young people, young parents come together, often they want to share their experience, the highs and the lows of having children and toddlers. And they want to share, you know, oh, you know, does your child ever sleep? Mine's getting up every minute ever, uh, through the night, and they're just being sick all the time, and their poo looks like this, and that is the stuff that young uh, parents talk about. I've got three children, I know. And, um, and, but actually... If they were just sharing amongst themselves, they'd be not helping each other. They'd just be sharing in their ignorance. And that's why it's so amazing that at Babies and Toddlers, we have all sorts of volunteers from the church of all ages that come, who maybe have had kids years ago. And they come alongside uh, the parents and the other grandparents that are there. And they say, it's okay, you're doing a great job. I know, because actually, you know, I've got some kids. And... I haven't killed them. They're still alive, you know, and they haven't turned into axe murderers. It's going to be okay. It's that reassurance. Follow my example. Let's do this together. Paul is saying, church, you need to find someone who can be an example to you. Find someone who is like a spiritual role model to you and imitate them. When I look back at my life, I can see so many times where God has had a grip on me. And I only survived, partly because God had a grip on me, but also I only survived as a teenage Christian and as a Christian in my early 20s because of the people who were an example to me, people who took me under their wing and showed me what it really looks like to be a follower of Jesus, what it really looks like to be a citizen of heaven, people who noticed me and got to know me, uh, people who invited me into their home for tea on a Tuesday night, people who let me join in with their family and what was going on, people who prayed for me, people who modeled uh, and loved out of the grace and the love that they'd experienced of Jesus. They became people who picked up the pieces when I was broken, who I laughed with and who I cried with and who I hung out with, uh, people who challenged me and encouraged me. And I'm so thankful uh, for so many people. But I'm thankful for Gus and for Christine and for Debbie and for Leslie and for Paul and for Jane and for David and for Laura and Emma and Matt and all the others who imitated Christ in the way they lived and they loved. Can I encourage you then to find somebody to be that example, somebody you can imitate Maybe you want to find a mentor. We have a, a great mentoring scheme here where uh, Die Hollow miraculously matches people uh, who want to be mentored with men trained mentors in our church. Uh, you can email her or catch her. Is she here now? Oh, she's there at the back. She's waving. If you want a mentor, look now. Uh, or I'll come and see me and I'll point her in the right direction. Find somebody who knows Jesus, who's running the race ahead of you. Follow their example and imitate them emulate them but also think about your example 
You might not have even realized it, but there's probably somebody in this church, in your family, in your workplace, in your university, in your school, who is watching you. And they're looking at you. They're looking at what's important to you. They're looking at how you behave. They're looking at the choices uh, that you make. They're looking at your life, and they're learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a citizen of heaven. How are you and I demonstrating and showing what that looks like? How are we demonstrating and showing the grace of Jesus? How can you be an example? How can you be a mentor to somebody else and encourage them on their journey? It's clear then from Paul's message to the church in Philippi and through Jesus' teaching that there are two paths that we can take in our lives. And verses 18 to 19 make that really clear. Either, as we've looked at tonight, we can live in the grace of Jesus, joining together, pressing on towards the goal to win the prize prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Or, as Paul explains in verses 18 and 19, we can live as enemies of the cross. And this path leads to destruction. Uh, Jesus um, also talks about this, and he talks about the gate that leads to destruction. And that gate is wide, and many people go through that gate. But some people choose to go through the narrow gate that leads to life, that leads to the prize. But it's harder. If we're honest, most of this city, 95% of this country, are choosing the, the wide gate and are happily walking through on their way to destruction. Does that bother you? It bothers me. If we're imitating Christ Jesus, it should break our hearts as it breaks his. That people and individuals, this society, this country, do not know the transforming grace and love of Jesus Christ. It should break our hearts that our families and our friends and our neighbors have chosen to be enemies of Christ and are following that path to destruction rather than running the race to win the prize to which Christ has called them heavenward. And so as we finish, as citizens of heaven, living by grace, we need to together, join together to disrupt the tide. At P's and G's, we're called to change lives, to bring transformation to society, to deepen influence. Let's get on board with this. Let's start by letting Christ Jesus transform your and my heart with his grace and with his love so that we can go out and transform society.